Well, I just want to welcome everyone for being here today. My name is Micah Barclay. I'm the associate pastor here at uh, Rev City. And I'm really honored to be with you guys. And I want to say welcome to everyone joining us online as well. It's great to have you. And we are in this series right now, Free Indeed. And I'm excited because I'm going to give a message in the same series, Free Indeed. And if you haven't been here, Pastor Thomas has been just killing it with these messages, unpacking these deeply rooted issues in our life. Pastor Eddie gave a really great message a few weeks ago as well. And we're going to continue on with this thought and series. But something you guys may not know, as pastors, we get together, uh, and mostly it's Pastor Thomas coming to us and saying, hey, here's what, something I want to preach on. What do you guys think about it? What needs to be covered? And he was talking about this Free Indeed series. And he said, hey, you know, what, what do you guys think that, you know, we should cover in this or not? And in those meetings, we were praying and talking, and we kept getting um, this idea of fruit in our lives and roots in our life. What are the fruit in our life and what is the roots in our life? So before today's message, I wanna start with a really simple verse. It's in Colossians 2, 7, and it says this. Have your roots. Everyone say roots. Planted deeply in Christ. Grow in him. Get your strength from him. Let him make you strong in the faith as you have been taught. Your life should be full of thanks to him. Very simply, what Paul is saying here is, if you are firmly rooted in Christ, you will grow spiritually, you will grow in strength, you will grow in faith, and you will grow in thanksgiving. If you are rooted in Christ, you will have all the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Amen? amen. I said amen? Come on. Well, if we're rooted. The problem is we can root ourselves in things other than Christ. And what the real, real problem is... All other ground is sinking sand. Christ is the cornerstone. So when we root ourselves in anything else, we're bound to have a lot of problems in our life. So before we get started, I want you guys to look to the screen real fast. And there is this, I'm a very visual learner, okay? And so I, when I was thinking about this, like what are we actually talking about in this series? And uh, this is kind of the idea that I, came, uh, I saw. And oftentimes we wanna focus on the fruit instead of the roots. So the fruit, things like fear, anger, depression, anxiety, jealousy, hate, worry, those are things in our life. And I'm telling you, those are like important to focus on. We don't want those in our life. The problem is we focus too much on it. We have fear in our life, so we attack the fear, and we attack it with the word of God if we're smart. And we're saying, hey, God has not given me a spirit of fear. God's given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And we pick that uh, fruit off. And we say, okay, I don't want any anger. I don't want any depression, anxiety. And we start doing it, and we clean our tree, and we look really good. We feel good about ourselves. But the problem is, if we never deal with the root issues in our life, we're gonna keep producing the same fruit again and again and again. And I'm telling you, if you guys have ever dealt with any of those fruits before, and my hand is raised, I've dealt with all of those before, we can clean ourselves up the best we want, but if we wanna really take care of it, we have to attack these roots. And we've been talking about these five roots, generational iniquities. We've been talking about that the last two weeks. Inner vows, unhealed trauma, willful or deliberate sin. And today, I want to talk to you about unforgiveness. Now, I'm going to say something that might really surprise some of you guys, but I genuinely mean it. I do not believe there's anything more damaging to our mind, body, or soul than unforgiveness. I truly believe that. It's a root that if left undealt with will always, and I mean will always, lead to death. And this is what Jesus teaches about it. Um, so I'm, to, I'm just gonna preface you guys with this message. 
It's, it's going to be challenging. It's not going to make you feel comfortable. It's not going to make you necessarily feel good. But I promise if you want to be free, it's something that we have to unpack in our lives. So this is what Jesus teaches about unforgiveness in Luke chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Well, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> right? That, that's a really great way to start a message, right? Uh, another version says, it's impossible for offenses not to come. It's impossible for them not to happen. What Jesus is saying here, you will have a chance to have an offense towards someone. If you haven't already, maybe you're super spiritual and you just let it you know, glide off your back, I guarantee you sometime in the near future, you will have a chance to hold an offense and to hold unforgiveness. This affects everyone. Jesus says it is impossible for offenses not to come. So skip down to verse three. This is what he says in Luke chapter 17. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Amen. Rightfully so, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So I want to preface this whole message with this idea. That oftentimes when we forgive people, we think we're doing some spiritual a mega act, right? And we want to give ourselves a pat on the back and be like, wow, we just are so spiritual, we're so good. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He's teaching about forgiveness here, right? If we, in the context, this is what he's teaching about. He goes, don't do that. If anything, you're supposed to say, when I show someone forgiveness, I'm literally only doing what I've been told. I've literally only been doing what I've seen you do, Jesus. Because, I mean, honestly, Jesus is the ultimate example, amen? Why we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. He did not wait for us to get our act together or get our butts into church, right? He died for us while we were still sinning. And he's saying, when you do this, just say we're unworthy servants. We're just offering what was offered to us. So again, this is gonna be challenging. It's not gonna be easy. But if you want to be free, I suggest you let the Lord speak to your heart this morning. So I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would be here, convict us, and bring any unforgiveness out of our hearts. So Father God, we come before you today, and we ask that you do speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. I already sense your presence, God, through worship, through everything that's been going on. We honor you here. Would you please speak to us, God? I pray that not one person would leave here the same, but that we would all walk out these doors today different more like your son, and that when we offer forgiveness to others, we wouldn't think it's something as a huge spiritual act. We'd say, we are only been doing what we've been taught and what we've been shown. Thank you for being the ultimate example for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen, amen. amen. Okay, so the title of today's message is The Freedom of Forgiveness. And boy, let me tell you, there's a lot of freedom found in forgiveness, a ton of it, okay? I have four points for you today. I wanna share two things that forgiveness is not, 
And then I want to share two truths about forgiveness. Normally when I preach, guys, I give you three points. I'm giving you four because it's a Memorial Day weekend, holiday weekend. I want to bless you guys a little bit. So four points for you. Look out, but I'm going to do my best. All right, so here's, I want to share the two truths about forgiveness. I'm sorry, the two things that forgiveness is not first, okay? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Forgiveness does not mean you forget. Forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It's not wiping it from your brain. It's not saying that hurt that happened to you didn't happen. It's not saying what that person did to you was okay. It's not a saying that you should allow other people to walk all over you. And it's not saying that you should live in some type of abusive situation, okay? I truly believe you can forgive someone from your heart from your heart, like deep down inside, you completely forgive, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to forget what they did to you. I think that's actually really damaging. And oftentimes we fall into two camps on this as good Christians, right? We fall into one camp that says, you know, I'm a Christian, I know I'm, I'm supposed to forgive, so I forgive this person. But I swear, if I see them in the grocery store, I'm turning around. You know, I'm going to the other one across town. I don't care if it's going to be 15 more minutes. I don't even want to talk to them. You know, I, I, I believe I forgive this person, but I'm not going to that holiday dinner because I don't even want to look at them, right? That's not godly. But then we fall into this other campus, Christians too. We start off like, man, I know we're supposed to forgive. I know I am. But then we say, but doesn't God say we're supposed to turn the other cheek and forgive those who sin against us 70 times seven? Like, okay, and so I forgive them and they just keep allowing those people into your life again and again and again. And I believe that is also very dangerous and unbiblical and unwise. And here's what my justification for this. Psalms 26, four through five says this. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with the hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. Think about what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, I don't even sit with evil people. I don't hang out with people who are wicked or who are hypocrites. Why not? Why shouldn't we do that? I believe the answer is in Proverbs 13, 20, which says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And the problem is some of us are walking with fools and we think we're being really spiritual about it. We keep going to them again and again and again, allowing them to speak into our lives when they have no business speaking into our lives. We can forgive them, but forgiveness does not mean we have to forget. A couple weeks ago, I had someone send me an email. They had no idea that I was gonna be speaking on forgiveness. And the title of the email was The Power of Forgiveness. So I was like, well, hey, this could be good material to use, right? So I opened up the email, and I want to read just a small excerpt from it to you guys today. It's an experience that he had. Uh, he's a businessman in Lawrence, and he shared me with this experience. He said, several weeks ago, I had a guy yell at me publicly while pointing his finger at me. He came into a meeting angry, lost his temper, and blew up. Meanwhile, I didn't say a word. In fact, another in the group jumped to my defense, and those two got into a fiery exchange. I'm shaking my head as I even typed this because it was ridiculous, shouting, cussing, finger-pointing. All the while, I just sat there motionless at one end of the table with my mouth shut. This morning, the finger-pointer asked me to speak with him privately. I cautiously agreed with him after our meeting. He apologized for his behavior and for anything he did during that meeting. I was shocked. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I quickly accepted his apology and thanked him and told him to forget about it. We talked about some other things, and after a few minutes later, he apologized some more. 
I was truly stunned by his sincere apology that I, what I saw as genuine remorse. This all came from a guy who I suspect is a non-believer and not someone who I expected to be bothered or feel convicted by his behavior. Before he left my office, I began to think of a couple Christians who have wronged me. Not with flippant, heat of the moment mistakes, but conscious, ongoing, deliberate actions. They are men who both know better, and I would expect either of them to do the same thing, apologize. <laughs> then he writes, neither has apologized, and I'm not staying awake at night waiting for an apology. I, I am trying to figure out how a non-believer would come to me to apologize for something relatively small while a couple different Christian men who have neither admitted fault nor apologized for far worse. It is a bit mind-boggling. I'm writing you to remi I'm reminding you and reminding myself about the power of forgiveness. This morning, I quickly reached out my hand to a non-believer to shake his hand before he had even finished apologizing. I thanked him and told him, we're good, and I meant it. That is not a boast or any credit to me. That credit belongs to Christ. If these other Christian men were to do the same, I would respond the same way. Listen to this. He says, I believe I have forgiven those men. I simply feel forced to remain very wary and skeptical of their character. Until either offers an apology and takes ownership of their actions, I remain very reluctant to engage in any kind of relationship built on trust. And when I read that, it, I mean, guys, that's what I'm talking about. Here's a non-believer, uh, I'm so sorry, and he's quick to receive it. He begins to think of some other men. He didn't tell me what it was, but obviously he feels like it was far worse. And he goes, you know what, I truly have forgiven him. And he goes, like, I'm not even waiting for them to apologize. Do you guys know you don't have to wait to forgive someone? If they, you just forgive them. You don't have to wait for them to ask for forgiveness. You just do it, right? That's up to them. You can be free right here and right now just by doing that. But he recognizes forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. He goes, I'm very wary. I've forgiven them, but that does not mean I have to build any type of relationship built on trust with them. And I encourage you, if you guys are struggling with that today, that could be something that could truly set you free this morning. Forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. Second thing I wanna share with you guys is forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. It's not natural. It's fair to pay them back an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you, right? That's the playground rules. And we're all good with that, but the problem is we want, you know, everything to be fair and for the justice to happen, you know, the punishment to match the crime for other people but when it comes to ourselves, we want grace and forgiveness, right? And you know, I'll just let you see into my own life a little bit. I have five brothers and sisters. Nothing, and I mean nothing, brought me more joy than seeing them get in trouble. I mean, literally, it made me giddy. Every time they got in trouble, I was just like, impossible not to be happy about it. And the bad thing is, I think I left that trade on to my kids. And we have four kids, Adrian and I have four kids, and specifically Lydia, our second oldest, I mean, she gets giddy when our oldest daughter, Matea, gets in trouble. And the other day, you know, it's summertime, so they have a little more freedom, they're done with school, and, but we have this rule, no media until typically after lunch, until their chores are done, they practice piano or whatever the case may be. And Matea got on the phone, was doing something, and we had to correct her, and Lydia's just sitting there, like, trying not to smile, trying to keep a straight face, but she's like, <laughs> you know, like, just trying not to just be, like, show her excitement. You know, she wanted the punishment to match the crime, like, hey, come on, punish her. 
But then the other day, I couldn't find Lydia. Like literally, I was like searching the house. I'm like, girls, like, where is Lydia? I cannot find her. And I'm going up and down, walking to my bedroom. I'm about to walk out. And all of a sudden, I see this charge cord running across the room into a pile of blankets in the corner. Hmm. So I go over there and I start peeling back the blankets. And on the last one, Lydia's with a tablet charging under the blanket. And she looks at me and her eyes just say, oh, doo-doo. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, I am in trouble. And I say, Lydia Jean. And as soon as I say that, she just starts bawling. I mean, literally bawling. And, and she goes, I'm so sorry. Here you go. You know, like a million miles an hour. And she's like, forgive me, forgive me, please don't give me a punishment. Like, okay, right? Because she knows a punishment's coming, and the punishment is usually you lose media for the rest of the day, or you're going to lose it the next day, or whatever, right? We want justice for others, but we demand mercy for ourselves. But mercy, forgiveness is not fair. And for us, that is a really, really good thing, amen? <laughs> Psalms 103 says this, he, speaking of God, does not treat us as our sins deserve, thank you, Jesus, or repay us according to our iniquities. There's the word iniquities, iniquities again. We've been talking about that. For, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions against us. Come on, that is good news for whoever needs to hear it this morning. Forgiveness may not be forgetting, and forgiveness is not fair, but we need to hear that, okay? But the problem is we're far too focused on other people and not ourselves. And, you know, we try to jazz it up a little bit. We, as we get older, we'll say things like, well, they just reaping what they sowed, right? You know, like, if I reaped everything that I sowed, I'd be in a world of hurt. You know, I, I truly would be, but thank God forgiveness is not fair. But we have to understand that if we want to truly know what godly forgiveness is. So those are your first two things, that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean you have to forget, and forgiveness is not fair, and that's a very good thing for you and me. But if forgiveness is not one of those things, what is forgiveness? What is it? I want to give you a simple definition. Forgiveness is giving to others what God has given to us. Forgiveness is giving to others what God has given to us. It's a pardon, an absolution, exoneration, a remission, a dispensation, an indulgence. Forgiveness, true godly forgiveness, is forgiving others the way God has forgiven us. So here's the tr first truth about forgiveness that I want you guys to understand. Sometimes the hardest person that you have to forgive is yourself. Sometimes Sometimes the hardest person you have to forgive is yourself. Listen, okay, many of you, and I've done it to myself as well, get stuck in our sin patterns of our, of our past, right? We think, I know the things I've done. I know the things I said. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I can't believe I did it. God could never use me. God could never want me, and there's nothing farther from the truth. We are our own worst critics sometimes. At least that's for me. I don't know about you guys, but I just will focus on something like, man, I can't believe I, was, I acted that way towards my spouse. I can't believe I said that to my kids. Like, how, how could I? And I want to focus on those things, focus on those things. But this is the thing, okay? All of us as followers of Christ need to know God sees our sin the same way. It's damaging. One sin, one law broken, all laws are broken. 1 John 1, 8 says this, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. 
Think about that. If you even try to claim you have no sin, if you even pretend that you have no sin, you're only fooling yourself, right? You're not fooling me. I'm certainly not I'm gonna pretend like I'm perfect up here, and you're not gonna pretend like you're perfect. We all know we're sinful, fallen short of the glory of God, right? But I also know grace has to cover those sins. So regardless of what you've done, I guarantee you this. Okay, regardless what you've done, regardless how you lived your life, God sees our sins the same way. He, he truly does. And you might be sitting there thinking, uh, yes, but you want to also say, but no, right? Because like, I might be a sinful person, I've, you know, done some things, but I'm not like that bad of a person, right? I mean, I mean, raising, like, come on, you're not that bad, I mean, come on, Right? Amen, there's a good spouse for you right there, covering, covering his wife. We like to think, well, like, I'm not Adolf Hitler, I'm not Saddam Hussein, I'm not doing these crazy things. Like, uh, relatively speaking, I am a good person. Let me give you an example in my own life. Guys, I've lied before, and that means in God's eyes, I'm a liar. I've cheated before, that makes me a cheater. I've stolen before, and that makes me a thief. I've lusted before, and that makes me an adulterer. I've hated before, and that makes me a murderer. I've loved the things of this world more than God, and that makes me an idolater. Listen to me. If you've sinned, you're in good company. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, but this is the amazing, amazing message of the good news. First John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, come on, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, you are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are the sum of everything Christ Jesus did for you on the cross. That is who you are. And that's why we get pumped up for baptisms last week. When we had all those people getting baptized, I was like, that's that verse. Like, behold, the old is gone. It's passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have an opportunity to forget that old life and recognize we have a new life in Christ Jesus, amen? But here's the important thing. This is the one thing that we can do. I love how Paul says this in Philippians 3.13. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and look forward to, looking forward to what lies ahead. What does he mean by I, I have not achieved it? What does he mean there? He's really, Paul is talking about this state where you feel like, I'm just not going to sin anymore. Has anyone ever felt like when I give my life to God or when I come back from this conference or when I come back from this camp or that this great, you know, pastor who spoke on Memorial Day, when I get home, I'm just going to be like, man, I'm just never going to sin again anymore. That, I'm just, I'm going to be perfect. Listen, that is, that's a farce. That's just never going to happen. And Paul recognizes that. This is the Apostle Paul. Have you ever read Romans chapter 7? <laughs> Paul literally sounds like a madman talking about his sinful nature. He, he, he literally does. He's like, and this is the Apostle Paul. He's raised people from the dead, done unbelievable miracles, gave his whole life on a missionary journey, and he's sitting there in Romans chapter 7, and he's like, what is wrong with me? The very things I want to do, I don't do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I'm, I don't want to do those things. Like, what is wrong with me? And he goes, and like, it's just hilarious if you've never read it before. But I love how he ends his final thoughts 
at Romans chapter 7, verse 24 through 25, and it says this. And I'm going to read it to you in the message version because I think it's just very pointed and it just cuts to the heart of what we're talking about here. It says this, I have tried everything and nothing helps. Who's ever felt that way before when you've tried to forgive, when you tried to forgive yourself? Hand raised right here. Come on. If we're being real, it's like, man, I have tried everything to fight this life of sin. I have tried everything to stop doing this. I've tried everything to give up this fear. I've tried everything to get up this pain and, and this uh, worry and this anxiety, this oppression. I have tried everything, but I keep sinning. I keep making the same mistakes. What am I supposed to do? He said, I have tried everything and nothing helps. I am at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Verse 25, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Listen, if you really want to experience victory and forgiveness in your life and forgive yourself, that can only come through Jesus Christ. He is the only one to, who is able to forgive your sins. If you ever figure out how to forgive your own sins, you let me know because that's pretty cool. But guess what? That's going to be impossible, right? That is a supernatural event. It only can come through the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen, if we go back to Philippians 3, what does he say? In Romans chapter 7, he goes, thank God there's someone to take away the sins, but we have a part to play in this. Did you guys catch it? what it is in uh, Philippians 3? It says this, but I focus on this one thing. What's the one thing that you need to think about right now? Forgetting the past, look forward to what happens in the future. Forgiveness of your sins is a supernatural event. That comes from Jesus Christ himself. What's the one thing you're supposed to do? You're supposed to forget your past. The old has passed away. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have to live by your past mistakes. You don't have to live by your past guilt. You are not, uh, you know, limited by the things you've done in the past. God sees you brand new. Like he said, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Stop counting yourself out. Stop it. Don't do it. Forgive yourself. Move on because Christ has already forgiven you. Forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. Forgiveness is not fair, thank God. And it's a beautiful thing when you finally find time to forgive yourself. But the last and final thing I really want to share with you guys today is this. If we really want godly forgiveness in our life, if we really want to experience his forgiveness, we must learn to forgive others the same way God forgave us. We must learn to forgive others the same way God forgave us. And I'm telling you, the first one is pretty darn hard. It is hard to forgive yourself. But this one, this one can take a lot of time if you allow it to, or it can take a moment. It can take an instant. But I, believe, I truly believe if we learn how to forgive others from the heart, you will experience so much freedom in your life, you won't even be able to know what to do with yourself. And maybe you're asking, what does it mean to forgive someone from the heart? I believe Jesus teaches this clearly in Matthew chapter 18. He says this. Actually, Peter comes to him, and it says in verse 21, Then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? 
I love Peter. He always makes me feel better about himself, myself, right? Like he thinks he's being super spiritual, but not even close because then Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. And then, he's, then he shares this parable I want to share it with you guys. He says, uh, a servant goes to a king who owes the ki- uh, king millions and millions of dollars, a truly an insurmountable debt. And he goes, and the king demands instant payment. Like, you know, give me my money now. And the servant does not have the money. And he goes, be patient with me. I'm so sorry. Please, you know, uh, I'll figure it out. And the king says, no, I'm going to sell you, your family, your children, everything to pay off the debt. And he goes, please have mercy on me, like Lydia, right? Please have mercy on me. And the king goes, okay, because I'm a gracious king, I forgive you. And he forgives the debt. And the, the servant goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he grabs the servant by the throat and he says, hey, I want my money. And the servant also asks for grace. He goes, please, 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 I will get you the money. I promise. I just need a little more time. But the evil servant would not listen and has that other servant thrown into prison. Well, when some other servants from the king hear about this, they're obviously pretty upset. And they tell the king about it. And this is what happens to the evil servant in verse 32, Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the king, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Listen to verse 35. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What? What? That doesn't even sound biblical. Like our good and faithful God who loves us and adores us, he goes, if you do not forgive others the way I've forgiven you, it's not going to happen. If you don't forgive them from the heart, I think the question all of us should be asking is, then how do I forgive someone from the heart? Amen. And I believe that you do it in two ways. I believe you confess it and then you bless it. You confess a situation, then you bless a situation. James 5, 16 says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, if you have sinned against someone, maybe even during this message, you're thinking, man, you know what? I'm that person. I've never asked for someone to truly forgive me. I'm telling you, there is power when you confess that you've hurt someone. Intentionally or unintentionally, you say, I realize I have. There is power and freedom and forgiveness when you confess it. I believe there's also freedom and uh, grace when we go to someone who might have sinned against us. And there's a godly biblical way. We don't just say, hey, you really hurt me. Like, come on, do something about it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, hey, nine times out of 10, the people that really hurt us the most are the people who are most closest to us, right? It's our spouse, our parents, a sibling, a coach, a friend, a a teacher, what have you. But nine times out of 10, when I go to someone I genuinely love and say, hey, look, um, what you said back there, what you did back there, that really hurt me. Nine times out of 10, the 
the first words that come out of their mouth is, I am so sorry. But it takes the wisdom and grace just to say, this is how I'm feeling, and I've already accepted it, and I'm, I've already forgiven you, but I wanted to let you know, but just confessing it brings healing. The other thing that's even maybe even more challenging is blessing it or blessing them. Because I'm telling you, it is impossible to stay angry, upset, and hold on to bitter and unforgiveness towards someone if you begin to bless those people. And we're just following what Jesus Christ told us to do in the first place. Matthew 5, says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. I say, bless, do not curse. We think, again, we want to live by the playground rules, but that's just not how God works. I really want you guys to get this. If you truly, truly, truly want to bless, uh, forgive someone from your heart, you confess it, then you start blessing them. And I wanted to encourage you, what would it look like today if right now you started thinking about someone that you could start blessing who has hurt you? Because Jesus Christ himself said, I say bless, do not curse. Bless do not curse. Can I have everyone stand to your feet this morning? I believe God wants to do something in our hearts and our lives today, and I just want to give him a moment to, to do that. But I, I, I want to stay on this point for just a second longer. I want you guys to think about this. Truly, it doesn't have to be something hard to bless a man or a woman who's hurt you. What would it look like today, or maybe on Monday or Tuesday when you go back to work, if you bought a cup of coffee for that coworker you cannot stand? Come on, everyone has a coworker like that, right? I mean, I don't. I love my coworkers. <laughs> but unfortunately, if you don't have a coworker like that, it probably means you are that coworker. Just throwing it out there. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not, guys. So if you give me coffee, I'll know. But what would it look like if you, that person in the office that you're like, oh my gosh, will this person not stop talking? You were like, hey, I was just thinking about you. Hope you had a great weekend. Here's some coffee for you. Bless you. Hope you have a great time, right? Hope we have a great week together. For you students out there who just graduated high school or college, whatnot, what would it look like if you took a moment and you wrote a professor or a teacher a thank you card, even if you didn't see eye to eye on everything, and you said, hey, thank you so much. I know we didn't see eye to eye on everything, but I just want to say thank you for teaching me. I hope you have a great summer and sent it to them. What would that do? I promise you, you begin to see freedom in your life. And then if you want to get really spiritual this week, what would happen if you invited some of, those, some of those people on Facebook that have a different political persuasion than you over for dinner? And you made that dinner excellent. You, you, know, you served them their food, you got their seconds, you got their dessert, you got their coffee and you didn't spit in it, right? You did all these things just to bless them and say, hey, look, I know we haven't even seen it. We've had pages of conversation back and forth, but I just want to bless you because I'm not holding any offense against you. I promise when you start blessing, confessing, and then blessing a situation, it will be impossible to hold on to an offense. And this is where I really want to land. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Why is forgiveness so important? Matthew chapter 16, verse 14 says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your heavenly father will not forgive your sins again that's just like what come on that doesn't even sound right but this is why i said what i said at the very beginning of the message i believe there's nothing more damaging more hurtful in our lives 
than unforgiveness. Why? Because Jesus Christ says himself, if you cannot learn how to forgive others, how can you be forgiven yourself? It's like we're that evil servant. We've been forgiven this giant debt and we're not even willing to give it to others. It's ridiculous. It's ungodly and we'll never experience the freedom that Christ has for us if we harbor that type of offense. So I believe God wants to minister to two people here this morning. If you are struggling to forgive yourself, if you're listening to this message and like as soon as I start talking, you're like, man, I've been thinking about my past mistakes, my past shame, all those things for far too long. God wants you to experience freedom today. Or maybe when I start talking about forgiving other people, God just instantly put someone in your mind. A parent, an ex-spouse, a family member, a friend. God wants you to experience freedom from that life of offense. It's impossible for offenses not to come, but they didn't say it's impossible to be free from it and hold on to that unforgiveness. So if you're here today and you're struggling to forgive yourself or if you're struggling to forgive someone else, I want you to raise your hand so I know who to pray for. Is there anyone in here today? Come on, hands all over this room, I see. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're raising your hands, I just want you to open your hands up before heaven like you're surrendering something to him. And I just want to pray a blessing over you. And I truly believe as we pray, God is going to bring freedom. He's going to pull this root of unforgiveness and expect God to speak something over your life, something that you can do, something you can say to bring healing to the situation. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are speaking to us, God. I pray for anyone who is suffering from just unforgiveness even towards themselves, God. They would remember today, you have removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. You do not treat us as our sins and our iniquities deserve, God. If you see us that way, would they begin to see themselves this way right now in Jesus' name? God, that they would stop focusing on the past, but focus on this one thing, remembering the life and the future they have with you. And for God, those who are struggling to forgive others, may we remember forgiveness is not fair. And forgiveness does not mean we have to forget, but forgiveness is something we have to do if we want freedom in our lives. So right now, in Jesus' name, would we confess it and now speak to their hearts and their minds on a way they could bless that situation, bless that person, bless that coworker, bless that spouse. God, we believe this is a supernatural event that you do in our hearts and lives and we surrender it to you. And now we ask for freedom, for freedom you have set us free and we claim that freedom now in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a shout of praise this morning? And the final thing we want to do before we close is maybe you're like, man, forgiveness, it's a pretty sweet deal. You better believe it is. It's a really good deal. It's a free gift, actually. And if you're sitting here and you realize, man, I don't think I've ever experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I've never really asked him to forgive my sins. But you want to start that life today. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've been living and you've been, been, you're ready to move on from your past. You're ready to say, I'm ready to forget that and start a new chapter of my life, amen? If that's you today, I want a chance to pray for you as well. Would you please raise your hand if you have a desire to follow Christ fresh and anew this morning. Give your life to him and receive that forgiveness that covers all sins. Would you raise your hand? 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I encourage anyone online, even if you're alone by yourself, doesn't matter. I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm making this step. I'm making the commitment because I truly believe God wants to set people free today. We, you can put your hands down. We, uh, we say this prayer together, and I want all of us to do it. We do it for a couple of reasons. One, it's because we are, want to show these people who raise their hands that we're your brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not think we're any better than you. We want to show that we want to do life with you. We're coming alongside of you. But we also do it because it reminds us we will never graduate from grace. Paul makes that really clear, right? So we need to be reminded what Jesus Christ did for you and for me on the cross. So can we just repeat this prayer together and believe in faith God's going to do a supernatural work. Father, I recognize my need for a Savior. Today, I confess all my sins. Forgive me, Lord, and help me forgive others who sin against me. Lead me in this new life through the power of your Holy Spirit. And through your Spirit, I know I will never be the same. I will never be the same. Come on, guys. I will never be the same. Come on, give God a shout of praise this morning. Hey, worship team, would you just lead us one more time?